So everybody make it through the day so far? <laughs> Not yet? There's still time, don't worry. Oh, uh, if you got your Bibles with you, open up the book of Isaiah. We'll start at chapter 27. Um, just by way of uh, update, um, I told uh, everyone this morning, George and Noel had the baby uh, this morning, but there were some complications, and the baby is in ICU. They expect everything to be fine. They had to have an emergency C-section. Those things happen sometimes. So uh, we want to make sure we keep them lifted up in our prayers. Um, it, it's, it's hard for anyone, but for me, it's especially difficult on your first baby because, you know, that's just a bummer that way. So uh, why don't we take a moment and just lift them up, and uh, I'm sure George would like to go to bed sometime but i think he's been up a long time so let's pray for strength for him heavenly father lord we pray that god you would be with george and noel father we ask god that you would uh, be glorified lord through this whole process and father i pray god that you would just show yourself in a greater and greater degree lord as you become their strength as you become their peace we do pray that you heal uh, the little baby boy father i pray god that you would touch him raise him up Lord God, we look forward to having them among us, and we just ask your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we take a look at Isaiah 27, it was one of my failures. I think last week, or last time we, we got together, I wanted to finish 27, and I ran out of time because I talked too much. So uh, we're going to take a look at chapter 27, then we'll go on. But this is the end of a section. Chapter 27 of the book of Isaiah is what's known as the little apocalypse. It's part of the little apocalypse. It's a point where Isaiah is looking into the future. He's looking into the apocalypse, the tribulation, the things that may come, that are, or that are coming on the horizon. And uh, as we take a look at chapter 27, it's going to end that section. So the context of this is looking to the end of times. He says, Now in that day, the Lord, with His severe sword, great and strong will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. Now we look at this, the, the, the phrase Leviathan is mentioned several places, but here in Isaiah, Isaiah alludes to who Leviathan is when he calls him that serpent, that twisted serpent. He's looking at Satan, and what is he seeing? He's seeing the return of Christ and the defeat of Satan. As Christ returns, as he comes back on earth, the scripture declares to us that he's going to slay his enemies by the sword of what? The sword of his mouth. The sword of his mouth. What's the sword of his mouth? The word of God. The word of God. He's going to come and destroy his enemies by the word of God, and Satan will at once be defeated. Now, what it's referencing is the period of time we read in the book of Revelation from chapter 19 to 21 which is not only Christ's return at the end of the tribulation period, but also the kingdom and ultimately Satan's complete defeat. And that's what he is looking at here. This is what he's talking about here. Leviathan pointing, uh, at least in this example, uh, that it's Satan. Now, in that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. What's he talking about? Isaiah chapter 5 tells us who's the vineyard. The vineyard is the nation of Israel. And God keeps it. God keeps it. Folks, there is one place on earth that has fought more battles than anywhere else. Want to guess? It's a place known as Jerusalem, which means the city of peace. The city of peace has not ever known peace, nor ever will know peace, until the Prince of Peace rules and reigns from its gates. So as we take a look, here's what the Lord is laying out. Hey, this is my vineyard. And at that time, when Christ sets up his kingdom, that's the end of all the, all the trouble, all the heartache. The Lord's going to rule with a rod of iron from that place. Nobody will, will do anything in there that, that is not allowed by the Lord himself. And in that time, as he rules and reigns as king, he says in verse 4, Fury is not in me. Who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together. It's interesting. I was talking to Fritz. Fritz has been burning his weeds. And since he's not here tonight, I could tell stories on him. So Fritz was 
burning his weeds, and apparently he caught his hot tub on fire. <laughs> so Joni come out of the house to say, Fritz, the hot tub's on fire. So he dropped the torch and went for the hose. And then I think Joni was saying something like, now the house is on fire. So uh, these are the things that happen these days while we're burning the weeds, the briars, the brambles. Well, this is the exact same thing the Lord's talking about. Who's going to plant briars and brambles in my kingdom? Listen, I'll burn them up. I'll burn them up. The Lord is going to make everything. In fact, we see that creation, folks, at that period of time is going to go back to how it was in the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam used to gather the fruit that he needed just simply by reaching out his hand and taking it before it was by the sweat of his brow? So we won't see the same things that we see today in terms of of weeds and, and that because the earth is going to go back to its perfect state during the kingdom of God. Now he goes on. He says, now who or, or, or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. And that day there will be perfect peace. Now listen to verse 6. Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob and Israel will blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Listen, ancient rabbis say that the nation of Israel will only give her fruit her fruit to the Jew. I don't know if that's true or not. Here's what I do know. Up until 1948 was all desert. In fact, when it was given to the nation of Israel, when it was given to the Jews and declared as their nation again, nobody cared. Nobody wanted it. Nobody was clamoring for, we want this piece of desert. Not very many people were living there. Few shepherds here and there. Israel came, and and as they moved into the land, they did some reforestation. They dried and drained some of the marshes. Up until that time, that area had not produced anything. Today, a quarter of the fruit going around the world comes out of Israel, which, by the way, is probably about a third of the size of Twin Falls County produces a quarter of the fruit around the world. The Lord lays out for us here, and and literally I think this verse is, we're we're seeing it fulfilled, ultimately fulfilled more when Christ returns in his kingdom, but we see that they're the the third largest producer or exporter of fruit in in the world. Now, that's today. Scripture goes on and says, Now has he struck uh, Israel... Has he struck those who struck him? Or has he been slain according to the slaughter by those who were slain by him? In measure, by sending it away, you contended with it. But he removes it by his rough wind in the day of the east wind. Again, the removal of all those, all the things that stand in opposition to the Lord. Therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be covered. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin when he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust wooden images and incense altars shall not stand the utter and complete removal of any worship other than worship toward the lord the the complete removal of idol worship was something that god's striving with throughout the book of isaiah with the two kingdoms northern kingdom southern kingdom Both of them fell into idolatry and idol worship. The northern kingdom is cured by Assyria. The southern kingdom is is cured by Babylon. So when we look at that, we see God moving. When the Lord reigns in his kingdom, at the end of days, there's not going to be any more altars, no more idol worship, none of that. Because everyone's going to know who God is. Everyone's going to see who God is. Unfortunately... Still, everyone will not choose God. But there's not going to be that division in that day. Then he begins to consider, think, or talk about the city, the fortified city, or the city of men. It's speaking of the, the world system, as we look at verse 10. Yet the fortified city will be desolate, the habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. There the calf will feed, where it will lie down and consume its branches. When its bows are withered, 
or his boughs are withered, they will be broken off. The women come and set them on fire, uh, for it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, he who made them will not have mercy on them, and he who formed them will show them no favor. The Lord is looking at that world system developed of men. We see in, in Revelation chapter 18, Revelation chapter 19, the destruction of Babylon. We see God judging the world religious system. We'll see God judging the, the world uh, governmental system. All of those things are responsible to the Lord. Each and every one of them. And so the Lord says here, hey, I'm going to wipe out all those cities, all those powers, all those things that they thought were the end-all, beat-all because of their utter and complete rejection of Him. And so He who made them will not have mercy on them. The Bible says, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God's in charge. And His judgment is always a righteous judgment. Now he goes on, verse 12. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will thresh from the channel of the river to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. So it shall be in that day the great trumpet will be blown, and they will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria, they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount, at Jerusalem. Well, what's going to happen? At the end of the tribulation period, folks, at the end of the battle of Armageddon, there is what is called the judgment of the nations, where people will be judged based on what they did or how they behaved toward God's people. Jesus put it like this. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they will ask, when did we do these things? And the Lord said, when you've done it unto the least of these, what? My brethren, you've done it unto me. There will arise this holocaust once again under Antichrist rule as the world focuses its anger and attention on the nation of Israel. And, and the, the, the offspring, Revelation chapter 12 tells us. Who's the offspring? Those who place their faith in the Mashiach, the Messiah. And Israel at that time, once again, is going to turn their eyes toward the Lord and realize that their Messiah had come. So as that is occurring, as those things are, are happening, the Lord is going to come. He's going to return. He's going to wipe out all of that destruction and set up his kingdom and judge the nations. Now, what did you do to my people when they came to you and said, we don't have food? Did you just kick them back out in the street? If so, kingdom's not for you. But if, if the answer is yes, or they treated his people, then they'll enter into the kingdom. Those are those who live through the tribulation period. Folks, for us, it doesn't really matter what your eschatology is. Uh, it doesn't, regardless as to where you fall in view of the rapture, after Revelation chapter 19, we're all with Christ. We are entering into the kingdom as his ambassadors, but we're already perfected. No matter what view you take, that has already taken place by the time we come to the kingdom age. So this is what he's talking about here. Gathering together the righteous to enter into the kingdom, and the unrighteous will await judgment at the great white throne. Now, when we come to chapter 28, Isaiah goes into what's known as the six woes of Jerusalem. He's going to focus in on them. Why? Listen, here's what's going on. Already the northern kingdom has gone into uh, judgment in the nation of Assyria. They've already gone. And the southern kingdom is saying, well, good for them. They were no good anyway. And the Lord is saying, "Um, I don't know why you're calling them no good. You're just like them. And ultimately they're going to go into captivity too. But they're looking at others. Can't we do that? When we look at the sin, our sin on someone else always looks so bad. It looks much worse than it looks on ourselves. That's what Jerusalem is doing. So Isaiah, living in the southern kingdom, is going to prophesy about the northern kingdom that's already gone into captivity. His emphasis is on going to be on Jerusalem to pay attention because your day is coming. If you don't, change 
your direction, this is where you're going to go. Folks, if we get on the road and we start driving somewhere and we don't get where we want to be, whose responsibility is that? If I don't like where I am arriving on the journey of life, it is my job to change my direction. To do something different. If you want something that you've never had before, you have to be willing to do something you've never done. Otherwise, what you're going to have is what you got now. Nothing changes. Isaiah, as he's laying out these prophecies, is calling the nation of, of Judah, the southern kingdom, to repentance. And we know the end of the story. But at this time, while they're kind of laughing and smirking at the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Assyria, who just conquered them, is on their way to Jerusalem. And Isaiah, God's going to give his people a, a crash course in, are you going to trust me or not? Because when Assyria gets outside their gates, uh, somewhere around chapter 35 or 36 of Isaiah, when Assyria arrives outside the gates of Jerusalem, they got to make a decision. We're going to trust the Lord or we're going to trust someone else. Because at that moment they trust the Lord, there will be a hundred years before they go into captivity in Babylon. And part of that is because of the word that Isaiah brings. Chapter 28, 29 all the way through to about 34, 35. The six woes that he lays out for for his people. Listen to what he says. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. Again, Ephraim is northern kingdom. Okay? Northern kingdom, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the Verdian valleys, to those who are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has a mighty and a strong one, like the tempest of hail and a destroying storm, like the flood of mighty waters overflowing. Who will bring them down to the earth with his hand? The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, will be trampled underfoot. And the glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valley, like the first fruit before the summer, which an observer sees. He eats it up while it is still in his hand. And in that day the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle of the gate. Now, as the Lord, listen, I want you to get a picture of this. As the Lord is talking about what's already taken place in the northern kingdom, he, he pauses before he's going to begin to emphasize uh, the problem with Jerusalem. And he says to them, listen, the Lord is the crown. Even in this defeat, even in this problem, the Lord of hosts is a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty. Even in the midst of storm, trust in the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me, and look what he says in verse 6, at the end of verse 6. And for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. God becomes the strength of those who turn back the battle at the gate. The picture is, here comes Assyria coming down to Jerusalem. Assyrians were drunk and they didn't think that anybody could conquer and everything was good and everything was fine and they were obliterated. And now as Assyria is coming down, he says, but listen, the Lord is a crown of victory and of glory. God is the one who is going to be our justice and He's the one to give you strength to turn your enemy back at the gate. Put your trust in the Lord. That's what Isaiah is calling them to. Put your trust in the Lord. But, in verse 7, they also have erred through wine. Now his attention is turned from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. The very things they were laughing at them about, they're guilty of. Oftentimes, those people we are most critical of those people we look at and we say, oh, you know, they're this, they're that. The reason we're more critical of them typically is because we see our sin on them. We don't like it. Because we see similar things going on or had gone on in our own life. 
And that's what's going on here. Isaiah is saying, listen, you're laughing at them and their judgment, but you're guilty. You have erred also with wine through intoxicating drink. And through intoxicating drink, you're out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filth, and no place is clean. Now, any of you ever grew up around alcoholic or spent any time drinking, understand that picture that was just painted. I don't even know how many times I woke up in a puddle of my own vomit with my pillows stuck to my face or my head jammed underneath the toilet. There was nothing glorious about any of that. All it does is destroy. And the same thing that they were laughing at those people who were judged in the northern kingdom, they're guilty of in the south. They're struggling with the same things. And listen, the Word of God talks about it. The Word of God gives us instruction in regard to to drinking, whether or not that should be something that's a part of our life. Listen, as you hold your your finger here, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23. We'll take a look and see uh, what the Lord lays out for us. Proverbs 23, beginning in uh, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause and redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in a cup and swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, or like one who lies on the top of a mast, saying, They struck me, and I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I might seek another drink? That's the the attitude that was prevalent in the northern kingdom. And here they're saying, the, the Isaiah is saying, listen, you're, you're looking at those guys, but your priests are drunk. Your people are intoxicated with wine, focused on partying. And where does that lead? What does it do? So much fun to have the spins. To, the Bible says, like sleeping on a mast. Imagine a sail ship and you're on the top of that little pole. While it's sailing in the ocean. Well, that's how it feels. That's what it's like. You know, we say dumb things. We do dumb things. We cause hurt and pain in our life. And God says, do not be drunk with wine. Which is dissipation. It means, which is a waste of your life. Don't do it. What's he say? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Focused on Him. So this is what's going on here. And listen, here's what the reality is. Guys, sin is contagious. Did you know that? Remember, we've been studying the book of Leviticus. What do they say in the book of Leviticus? He says in the book of Leviticus, if you are clean, stay away from that which is unclean. Why? Because that which is unclean will make the clean unclean. It's amazing how that works. If I got a big pile of filth in my backyard and Joseph is clean and he runs through the big pile of filth, what's going to happen? Is the pile going to get clean? No, no, no way. What's going to happen? Joe is going to get dirty they were looking and and seeing the judgment of the northern kingdom and they were infected by the same thing that infected them sin is contagious it's contagious and if we play with it it's only a matter of time before it bites if that wasn't true there would be no recovery programs 
because nobody would need recovery. I just stay drunk. What's the big deal? Why do I go to recovery? I don't need to do that. This has fulfilled all my needs. I can make everything go away. I just drink enough. But that's not the case, is it? And in all those places, those people all have stories, not about how that made their life better, but how it almost destroyed their life, robbed them of their family, sometimes robbed them of their friends. And so the Lord laying out for his people, listen, you've been infected by the same thing that you were so judgmental about in regard to those who were in the northern kingdom. Then in verse 9, this is what the drunk priests are saying to Isaiah. Well, whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from the milk? Those just drawn from the breast? What are they saying? Isaiah's message is so simple and elementary, he should only teach little children. Well, that's good. Didn't we talk about that this morning in church? That we're supposed to speak words that are easy to understand. That that's how we edify the body. And in fact, this chapter of Isaiah is the one that Paul pointed to in regard to that. So here are these drunk priests in Jerusalem mocking Isaiah's message that they've been infected with the same sin that was in the northern kingdom. And they're saying, you're, you're silly. You're, you're just simple teaching. Simple. We're much smarter. Much more intelligent. And so they wouldn't or were unwilling to receive from what Isaiah said. And they say in verse 10, he, he says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It's interesting when you hear it in the Hebrew, it kind of gives you the idea of the kind of mocking that they were doing toward Isaiah. Here's how it sounds in the Hebrew. Sablasav, sablasav, kablakav, kablakav. He's, he can only teach the children. Sablasav, sablasav, kablakav, kablakav. Precept upon precept, line upon line. It's silliness. It's too simple. And so there had a blind eye to God reaching to his people, trying to pre- prevent the judgment that is on its way. And so he says in verse 11, this is the verse that we saw today, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people to whom he had said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is a refreshing, yet they would not hear. Here the refreshing was a simple message. Here's the simple message from Isaiah. They won't receive it, so they're going to hear a judgment of another tongue. Something they don't understand. This was so simple. All you had to do was receive what God said. How many people say that the gift of salvation is too easy, too simple? It's, it's so easy to understand. I mean, what, all I got to do is put my faith in Christ? And if you ignore that message, what hope do you have then? None. Here you have this simple message, but it was rejected. And that's what Isaiah is pointing to. The Lord is saying, hey, if you reject this simple, plain understanding that I gave, then you'll be judged by a people with another tongue. And when they speak, you're not going to understand what they're saying. You're not going to be able to to get a grip on what's going on with them. So he goes on. He says now uh, in verse 13, But the word of the Lord was to them, again, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Listen, God's word is there for us to receive from. But if we turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to God's word, then God's word will become empty. No understanding. I don't get what it says. I I can't understand what God's word is all about because we don't want to receive the simple truth that God's word gives. 
So this is what was going on with the people. This is what they were going through at the time. And then in, in verse 14, he says, therefore, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Okay? His focus is now turned toward the people of Jerusalem, the drunk priests. Hear the word of the Lord for these scornful people. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death. And with Sheol, or with hell, we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it won't come to us. For we have made our lies our refuge. And under falsehood, we have hidden ourselves. They're saying, hey, we made a pact with hell. These people aren't going to touch us. This was their boast. This was their boast. They had look to other nations and other people to protect them from the things that were coming. Listen, guys, we do the same thing. We do the same thing every day. We are faced with a trouble. Do we take our problem to the Lord or do we solve it ourselves? We, we think, well, it's just a little thing. I can take care of it. It's just a small matter. I can, I can fix this. I can make it go away. And that's what they were doing. Only they were going to other nations. Well, I don't need to pray. I don't need to seek the Lord. I don't need to know what God has or what direction the Lord might have for me. Hey, I've made my covenant with the devil. That's what the Lord is saying. Now, maybe the devil was in the form of Egypt or Syria or Jordan. But it doesn't matter. They weren't seeking the Lord. They weren't making him their strong tower. Receiving strength from and through Him. And as a result, they are ripe for the picking. So Isaiah is bringing his word. Hey, guys, you, you think that this, this deal you've made with the devil is going to work. This covenant that you've made with hell. Now, let's look further in the future. Are they going to do that again? Yeah. When? 70th week of Daniel. Who are they going to make a covenant with? The Antichrist. Seven-year peace plan, right? They're going to pledge their allegiance to the devil for protection. And at the midway point, the three and a half years, the, the Antichrist is going to break his promise to them and try to utterly destroy them. What good did their covenant do them? Not much. And that's what the Lord is laying out for them here. That's what they've done. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Listen to God's answer to them. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Who is the chief cornerstone? Jesus Christ. Hey, we need all this. These, we need an answer for this, so we got to have a, a peace plan. We got to have. And what did God say? All you need is Jesus. I will lay a stone in Zion. Zion's just another word for Jerusalem. I'm going to lay a stone in Zion. Jesus would would lay out for us more. Daniel would say that the stone, not cut with hands from the heavens, would destroy all the kingdoms of the world. That's what Daniel said. Isn't that what we read about in Revelation chapter 19? At the return of Christ and setting up his kingdom. Isaiah is uh, referring to the same thing. The chief of the corner. The stone which has been rejected. When was he rejected? When he came. Folks, we should be, as we look through the scripture, looking for, in the Hebrew mindset, pattern. What do you mean we're looking for patterns? Well, the Bible works in patterns. The Hebrew concept of prophecy is not always prediction fulfillment. Sometimes it's patterns. What do you mean? You remember Joseph? When he came to his father and mother and his brothers and he told them about a dream when they would all bow down to him, did they receive him as their deliverer? They rejected him the first time, right? Well, about the second time. Nobody was laughing then, were they? What about Moses? When Moses came to the people as their deliverer the first time, did his people receive him? No. But when he came the second time, did they receive him then? Yeah. When Jesus came 
as the deliverer the first time they receive him? But they will when he comes a second time. So it's pattern. Throughout prophecy, we see pattern. These are the patterns that take place. It should open our eyes to see, hey, what's going on? How is God using this? It's happened before. It's not like this is some new idea, new concept. So the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief of the corner. And I shared with you, when I was in Israel, hey, our, our Jewish guide walked us through an area in Israel, and he said, hey, you guys want to see a chief cornerstone? And I was all excited because I was constantly trying to understand what it was all about. And he stopped me under an arch, and he pointed up to the keystone and said, it's right there. All of a sudden, things made sense. You know the story about the temple, that they sent up the cornerstone ahead of time, and the, the temple guys looked at the stone and said, what are we supposed to use this for? So they threw it off the mountain. They rejected it. And when the time came to set the chief corner, that piece that holds up the whole roof, they said, uh, hey, send us the chief cornerstone. They said, we already sent it. And they found it in the weeds, rejected off of the side of the hill of the temple. That's where the chief cornerstone was. They gathered it and set it. It's an example of what happened in Christ's life. Rejected. But he will be received. This is what the scripture is laying out for us. And now he goes on in verse 17. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet or the plumb line. The hail will sweep away from the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand when the overflowing scourge passes through. And you will be trampled down by it. As often as it goes out, it will take you. For morning by morning it will pass over. And day by night it will be a terror just to understand the report. What's the report? For all this effort, you put your faith and trust in the wrong thing. And there be no more disappointing news than that. What's it like to have consciousness in in hell? To remember and realize all the opportunities that you had for eternity. It will be, as he said, a terror just to understand the report. And then look at 20. For the bed is too short to stretch out on. Literally, it's as though the Lord is saying, someone has short-sheeted your bed. Do you guys ever do that? I'm sure not. When you take the sheets and you, you fold them up in half and you put them on and someone climbs into bed and all of a sudden they can't get in because... No? But anyway. This is what he's saying. Hey, the bed is too short to cover you. This promise, this covenant you think is everything that you need is not going to cover you. It's not going to solve your problems. That next drink... That next high, that next whatever. You think, uh, the next big business deal I make, that's finally going to be it. Nope, the bed's going to be too short to cover you. Doesn't matter. One thing satisfies. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing else is, is going to be able to, to provide that covering. And the covering so narrow that one cannot wrap himself in it. For the Lord will rise up at Mount Perizim, and he will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. No one would invent a religion like we put our faith and trust in. There's not another one like it. Where God died for his people? No. There's not one. His unusual act, the act of salvation, the work that God does in redeeming his people. It's foolishness to the wise. And that's what he's laying out. Hey, God's plan. How many times did people say, hey, you know what? God's plan sounds like a good plan. I know. 
Joshua, when you go to Jericho, you just walk around the city. Don't worry about swords or building siege machines. Don't worry about it. Just march. Don't say anything. And on the Sabbath day, I want you to march around it seven times. Lord, I thought we were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, listen, just do what I'm telling you. I don't count this as work, fellas. Just walk around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, everybody blow a trumpet and shout. And the walls will fall down. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Sure. Because we know how the story goes. Well, how, how about if you're, if you're Gideon in the mighty 300? As God's whittling down his army. I mean, at one point, uh, if I remember right, at one point uh, when he first announced or made the call, too few show up in the first place. But it was too many for God. God said, tell everyone who's afraid to go home. Well, now there's, there's an even smaller number, Lord. What are you doing? You still have too many. Take them down to the pool and watch how they drink. Everyone that drinks this way, put them on that side. Everyone that drinks that way, put them on that side. Which, which one did God choose? The one with more people or the one with less? Whittled them down to 300. Why? So that they would not be able to take the glory for what God did. The plans of God, right? I used to talk about uh, Samson all the time, sharing about Samson. How many times when you think about Samson, you picture this big old burly dude? You know, he's the strongest guy ever. Muscle coming out everywhere. But, hey, if that was true... Wouldn't people have given glory to the muscle? Well, of course, Samson's strong. Look at the workout he does. Where did Samson's strength come from? God. Samson could have been the scrawniest dude you ever saw. Little skinny bitty guy. Just whooping it up on the world. Because that would have given evidence of the touch of God in his life. The plans of God, the foolishness of men, right? So when we look and we consider God's plan, God's redemptive work, how God moves and how God works, keep that in mind when God does that in your life. We read about Jericho and, and we're okay with it. We read about Gideon and we're okay with it. What about when that's you? Lord, I need your help. I need you to bail me out at this time or this way. And what if, what if God doesn't show up right then? What if the Lord says, wait? Just wait. No, Lord, I got to do something. What? Just wait. Can you receive the plan of God? Can you trust the Lord in those times when you're Joshua and God's given you this crazy idea, this crazy plan? Well, this is what Isaiah is encouraging the people in. Trust in God. In, in his plan. Now therefore, in verse 22, do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a destruction determined even upon the whole earth. See, Isaiah had been given a glimpse of the end. Of the destruction that would come. And he's saying, listen, don't mock God. Don't be a mocker at the message that God brings. Be one who trusts, who put their faith in him. Give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my speech. Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods when he has leveled its surface? Does he not sow the black cumin and scatter the cumin, plant the wheat in rows, the barley at the appointed place, and the spelt in its appointed place? For he instructs him in right judgment, and God teaches him. For the black coming is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over the coming, but the black coming is beaten out with a stick, and the coming with a rod. Bread flour must be ground, therefore he does not thresh it forever, break it with his cartwheel, or crush it with his horsemen. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent 
in guidance. What's he saying? Listen, you guys go out and farm. You know how to plant. You know how to sow. You know how to prepare the ground. Where did you get that knowledge? It came from the Lord. Who started it all? Who taught it? Yet man leans in his own wisdom and thinks, wow, I am a smart fellow. Look at all that I can do. But the wisdom of man is foolishness. Constantly reminded that a couple hundred years ago, we bled a president to death because the world just knew that the way to cure disease is to get the blood out of a person. We still do that today? Uh, No. Why? Because we know that the life is in the blood. Oh, yeah, Leviticus said that 4,000 years before that. But hey, let's not listen to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is foolishness, precept upon precept, line upon line. You know, just foolishness. Yeah, but it's true. It's truth. We can put our faith and trust in it and in Him. Now, in verse 29, he says, Woe to Ariel. Ariel, you know, from Little Mermaid. Same kind of idea. Ariel is a term for Jerusalem. Literally, it means the Lion of God. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. The city of David, that's uh, Jerusalem. The city of David is right below the main uh, area where the, where the Temple Mount is. The city of David is what that part of Jerusalem is called that comes straight down from it. <clears throat> Add year to year. Let feasts come around. Yet I will distress Ariel. There will be heaviness and sorrow. And it shall be to me as Ariel. I will encamp against you all around. I will lay siege against you with a mound. And I will raise siege works against you. You will be brought down. You shall speak out of the ground. Your speech shall be low out of the dust. Your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground. And your speech shall whisper out of the dust. Listen, another siege is coming. Literally, Assyria is on the march. They're coming. They're going to set up mounds and siege all around Jerusalem. And when they put their faith and trust in God, He will deliver them. But later on, another siege is coming. And that siege around the city of Jerusalem would cause them to fall to the Babylonians. But wait, another siege is coming. A siege from Rome. That siege would occur in 70 AD and they would cease to be a nation. But wait, another siege is coming. 1948. Wait, another siege is coming. 1964. Wait, another siege is coming. 1972. The city of peace will know no peace until the prince of peace rules there in that land. So, the most besieged city in the world, Jerusalem. Again, they're going to face another siege. Moreover, the multitude of your foes shall be like fine dust. The multitude of the terrible ones, like chaff that passes away. Yes, it shall be in an instant, suddenly. You will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire scripture declares to us that our god is an all-consuming fire well we have a choice to make that choice is to allow god to burn us up what did john the baptist say in in speaking of this very thing looking at his disciples and disciples complaining that jesus was becoming more popular john the baptist said i must decrease he must increase so We need that dross, that junk, that garbage burned out of our life. Why do you think we face trials today? Trials help us to cast out, to get away, to burn up all that garbage, all the junk, all the trash. God shows us through those trials. These are areas in your life that are out of balance, where you're putting your faith and trust in the wrong things. And as those things burn away, it gives us another reason to put our faith and trust in Christ. This is what God is doing with the nation of of Israel there in Jerusalem. He's going to bring siege after siege after siege after siege. 
They're going to face struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle. They're going to go through hard times. Why? Because God hates them? No, because God wants them to put their faith and trust in him. Put it in me. Listen, let me tell you something about people. People draw closer to the Lord the harder the times are. The better the times are, the easier it is to forget about the Lord. That's just a fact. And since God made us, don't you think he knows that? So we draw near to the Lord when we face hard times. So why do we face hard times? So we draw near to the Lord. So we draw close to him. This is what he's indicating for us as we go through chapter 29. He goes on now in verse 7. The multitude of all the nations who fight against Ariel, even all who fight against her and her fortress and distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as when a hungry man dreams, and look, he eats, but he wakes up and his soul's still empty. Or when a thirsty man dreams and he looks, he drinks, but he awakes, and indeed he is faint, he's still thirsty, and his soul still craves. So the multitude of all the nations shall be who fight against Mount Zion. Anybody ever hold Mount Zion? In the history of the world, has any nation kept control of Jerusalem? No. God said it never happened. That Jerusalem will be a a stone of stumbling, a cup of trembling. Still today, people are trying to solve the Middle East peace crisis. Is there a solution? The closest one that anyone's ever going to come to is when the Antichrist makes a seven-year peace plan. But the solution is when Jesus Christ rules and reigns, when we see the return of the king. Then he will hold the nation with a rod of iron. So God says, hey, all these people come, they go to war, the Crusades, the Ottomans, the, the Muslims, whatever. It doesn't matter what group you go to. They kept it for a while, but they lose it to someone else. They keep it for a while, they lose it to someone else. Even the, the, the Jewish people keep it for a while, lose it to someone else. There's no peace apart from the peace that comes when Jesus Christ is going to return. Pause and wonder, he says in verse 9. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and closed your eyes. Those who hear the word of God without a desire or willingness to obey or apply. God gives them over to their blind eyes. You want to be blind? I'll leave you blind. Isn't that what happened to the nation? Still happens today. People choose not to see. No one is as blind as the man who says, I will not see. That's what he's saying. The Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep. He has closed your eyes, namely the prophets. And he has covered your heads, namely the seers. The nation of Israel will go through two periods of 400 years of silence where God doesn't speak to them at all. Because they're not receiving what God has to say. They don't want to to hear or apply what God's word is laying out. Verse 11, check it out. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men deliver to one who is literate, And say, read this, please. He says, I can't, for it's sealed. And the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I'm not literate. These are the excuses the Lord gives for why people don't receive the Word of God. They say, well, it's a sealed book. I can't understand it. No matter what I do, I can't understand it. God says, if that's your attitude, I can't understand it. I don't really care. I'm not going to apply myself. Be blind. Don't see. Don't understand. When that's our our focus, our attitude. 
Then he goes on in verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. So he's saying, hey, they give me lip service. They play church. They do all those things, you know, that... That they ought, that they are required in the law to do, and and they they fear me not because they know me, they fear me because they're taught to fear me. That someone tells them this is what you must do based on the commandment of men, not because they want to draw near me, not because they want to know me. My people, they they draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah. To the nation of Israel, those remaining in Jerusalem, as the Assyrian army is coming down upon them. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Hey, if you won't see, I won't show you. But I'm still going to do this marvelous work. I'm still going to do this, this incredible work. In verse 15, Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us? Who knows us? We do things in the dark. Why? Well, because we think nobody's going to see. The psalmist tells us, even if I make my bed in hell, God knows where I'm at. There's nowhere that I can hide myself from his sight. So the Lord says, woe to you who who seek deep in the dark to do evil things and think nobody's going to see, nobody's going to know. The Lord says, I know. And I'm the only one that matters. When David was caught in his sin, what did he declare to the Lord? He said, Lord, against you only have I sinned. The problem is between me and you, God. The problem is between us. And the Lord says, hey, you think you're doing these things in the dark and nobody knows, but I see. Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, but he has no understanding? Is it not yet a very little while till Lebanon will be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest? Listen, the Lord says, I made you, I called you, I I put your nation together, I'm the Lord your God. Later on, he's going to say, it's unheard of that people would exchange their God for another God. Either ones that worship pagans are at least faithful to the pagans that they worship, but not my people. My people, they, they go out a-whoring after other gods. And as he's laying all these things out, it's as though the pot is saying to the potter, who are you? Why should I listen to you? Why should I submit to what you have to say? Why should I place myself under your authority? And the Lord says, listen, it's just going to be a little while, and then Lebanon's going to be fruitful. What's he mean? If you go to Lebanon now, you know what it is? A minefield. But it won't always be that way. Nothing stays like it is right now. Everything is changing. You don't see things changing in your world. You don't hear the craziness going on in our government. You don't see all this stuff happening and think... Well, all things are just going as they always have. Really? Just a little while, Lebanon is going to be fruitful because Jesus Christ is going to reign. And that minefield, on that day, it's not even going to be remembered anymore. Yet, the people here are declaring to the Lord, hey, we don't don't want to hear you. We don't want to know you. We don't want to see you. Verse 18, it says, In that day the deaf will hear the words of the book. Huh, has that day happened? The deaf hear the words of the book? 
And the eyes of the blind will see out of obscurity and blindness or darkness. And the humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Remember when Jesus came, who would like to hang out with him? Wasn't all the wealthy coming down, all the wise, all the Pharisees, Sadducees, those people in control who came to him? Sinners, the poor, they gathered around him. Did the deaf hear? Did the blind see? Did the lame walk? Did Isaiah say those things would happen? Yeah, he says them in Isaiah 61. Now this, furthermore, is, gonna, is speaking of that time yet future when Christ returns and there will be no excuse for not understanding what he says. Because he's right there. We'll understand completely. Our eyes will, Paul says, now we see through a glass <coughs> dimly, but then how? Face to face. Now things aren't quite so clear. But when we're with Christ, everything's going to make sense. For the terrible one is brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed. And all who watch for iniquity are cut off. Who makes a man an offender by a word? And lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate. And turn aside the just by empty words. This is the, the inadequacy of justice in the world. In the nation of Israel was no different than it is in our world today. But it's not always that way. It's not always. But God hates a, a lying scale. People who cheat. People who uh, t- turn aside the justice that should take place for personal gain or someone else's gain or for the poor or for the wealthy. It doesn't make any difference. The Lord w- desires that there will be justice, that people will be right. Well, God's going to bring the terrible to nothing. This is not the end of the chapter. Our world doesn't just stay like it is now for all eternity. Jesus Christ will make all things right. That day will come. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now grow pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. Hey, God's going to do a work. And the children of Jacob, they're going to receive. I love it whenever God calls them the children of Jacob because that makes reference to me. Why? Israel means governed by God. Are you always governed by God? What was Israel's other name? Liar. Deceiver. Supplanter. God calls them by that name. Jacob's children. The time of Jacob's trouble. All those things pointing to a real reality of a lacking relationship with the Maker, but it's not always going to be that way. The children of Jacob are going to know the Lord. They're going to, they're going to, to see him. They will hallow his name. They will fear the God of Israel. Those also who erred in spirit will come to understanding. And those who complained will learn doctrine. Hey, God's going to use this nation of Assyria coming down on Israel, or on Jerusalem. And the people ultimately are going to turn toward the Lord and God's going to miraculously save them and they're going to buy themselves some time. If only we would stay in that place, huh? How many times has God brought us victory? How many times has the Lord delivered us in our lives? And yet the next time, do we enter into that same doubt, same worry, same concern? Or are we learning the lesson? Not to complain, but to learn, to be ready to move forward for all that God wants to do in and through us. Amen? Why don't we stand up? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that we can come before you, Lord, and continue to go through the book of Isaiah, continue to study the prophetic word that you gave through your prophet Isaiah. And Lord, may we make application today. The scripture declared to us, hey, if if you're going to read the word and want to be blind, you're going to be blind. 
If you're going to read the Word and not want to receive, you're not going to receive. God wants to reveal Himself to us through His Word, through worship, in a variety of ways God wants to speak to His people. If we come to Him honestly, not just lip service, if we come to Him honestly, seek Him, Lord, show me in Your Word. Help me understand the things as we go through. He'll show. He'll reveal Himself. Always has. Always will. So, Lord, we ask that You would move among Your people as we seek Your face in this place. God, may You be glorified as we look for just You honoring this opportunity that we have to draw near You. We pray, God, that You would do a great and incredible work in us. That we would learn the lesson of those who struggled so often in their relationship with You and that we might, in as much as it is possible for us, Keep our faith and trust in you. That you be our shield. That you be our defender. That you be the one who gives us the strength to turn back the enemy in our gates. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sunday nights we have a time of extended worship.